welcome to episode 8 of Big Happy Life. I'm Natalie, I'm your host, and we're sticking with the topic of beliefs for one more week to examine whether or not your beliefs and the emotions that are connected to them are what drives your behavior and your decisions, or whether you have quite a good balance of seeking extra information, looking at reality, and using any negative emotions you experience to understand triggers in your life, to understand how you react to certain things, what brings out the best in you, what brings out the worst, and what you can do about it. Of course, it's quite easy just listening to those two descriptions to get a sense of which one is probably going to lead you to a happier life. But when you're in the throes of a negative emotion, it's actually really difficult to decide to feel something else. used to really wind me up in training courses when the trainer would say, no one can make you feel anything. You choose to feel what you feel. And you're thinking, no, hang on a minute. I'm not having a good time here. I would like to feel something else and I really want to let this go. But at the moment, I'm not really feeling like that's possible. So this episode is about that. When you find yourself in the grip of negative emotions and they are running off with you, what's actually happening? What's driving that? And how do you get hold of it and make the best use of it. I got the idea for this week's podcast from a really brilliant audiobook called Change Your Beliefs, Change Your Life by Dr. Nick Hall. And in it, he talks about being image-driven or being reality-driven. So the two differences that I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast. In the book, he gives a really cool explanation of how we form our beliefs or how we form the images on which our beliefs are based. And he likens it to an artist drawing a landscape. And he says, imagine she's sitting there, she's looking out over this glorious landscape, and she suddenly thinks, hang on, we must be near a flight path or something, because there are aeroplanes flying overhead. But she doesn't want the planes in her image, because it kind of ruins what she's trying to create. So she leaves them out. But in the background, there's this beautiful tree that she decides would look wonderful in the painting, so she adds it. But it's not actually in the reality. And he says we do the same with the images that we create in our minds, the way we shape our memories. We know this from the remembering versus the experience self. Our reality isn't the same as our memories, and our memories shape our beliefs and what we think in future. If you'd like to hear more about the experiencing self versus the remembering self, or where beliefs come from, click on the show notes page and there are links to the relevant episodes. Now those images aren't just our memories, they can also be images of perceived consequences. So something happens and you have a reaction, but what you're reacting to isn't necessarily what's actually happening, but an image of the perceived consequences. These images are formed by your experiences and your memories of those experiences and how those have shaped your beliefs and how those beliefs shape your predictions. So let's say you're running late, you're in a traffic jam and you're going to miss a meeting. It's not the actual traffic jam that you're reacting to, it's the way you imagine that meeting going, what your boss would say, all of the stuff that's going to play out in your mind. So the images are created by your memories and your experience, but then you create images that you react to because they help you work out what you think is going to happen. Simple, right? For this episode, the important thing to keep in mind is that our reactions to things, including our emotions, the decisions we make, the actions we take the futures we imagine are all based on our beliefs and those beliefs are shaped by images we hold in our minds and the images come from our experiences and how we remember them. So when we're reacting to things, what Dr. Nick Hall says is we're not actually reacting to the reality, we're reacting to the image in our minds. To give you an example of this, I used to have a massive bee phobia. I once encountered a bee in my house and ran into a room and locked myself in there 
and phoned my husband, who was at work at the time and would have taken two hours to get home, and went, bee, bee, down the phone at him. I was too scared to open the door because I had this vision that the bee would be at eye level waiting for me, ready when I opened the door. I was the person who couldn't eat outside at a barbecue. I had to keep moving away from the table. If there was a bee near me, I would freak out. I started crying and hyperventilating on a bus when I was on holiday because a bee flew near me. And now I'm totally calm about it. How? The image changed. The old image came from an experience I had when I was at a school camp when I was about 11. And a bee landed on me and started walking up my cheek. And my teacher was freaking, stay still, stay still. And I was absolutely terrified. And ever since then, I've been terrified of bees. And so the image gradually over the years just became more and more rooted and more and more distorted. I think in the image in my mind, the bees were always a lot bigger and there was never anything I could do. And that fear of finding myself in such a powerless position where I would be at the mercy of the bee if I didn't get away from it before it landed on me meant that my behavior was always driven by that. Get away, get away, get away. But the image changed as soon as I had my kids. Because if I start reacting like that to bees, what's going to happen to them? Will they be afraid? Will they end up with the same phobia I had because they've learned it off me? Well, I couldn't have that. So it became time to change. And that was enough of a driver to change the image. So I guess that's the other thing is once you become aware that the image exists, there has to be enough of a driver to make the change towards something else. So in those situations, that's when you decide, do I want to be driven by this image or do I need to recheck my view of reality and make some changes? Now, in last week's episode, we spoke about how to challenge a belief. If you haven't listened to that, it's a good place to start. And again, I've included links in the show notes page to that episode. Where last week's episode is more about challenging beliefs in order to shape your future, this week's episode is more about challenging beliefs in order to change your behavior in moments where you're reacting to the image rather than the reality. And that's causing you some kind of distress or negative emotion that perhaps you don't need to experience. It's probably worth stopping here for a moment to say, I don't think there is such a thing as a negative emotion and a positive emotion. I think the type of emotion I'm describing is when, like in my case, I experienced such abject fear in the face of a bee. There wasn't any need for me to react that way. If it was a bear, different story. In that case, the emotion would be perfectly valid and could potentially save my life. So the emotion itself isn't the problem. It's when the image is driving an emotion that causes you to react in a way that's not actually linked to the reality you're experiencing. So here are some of the signs to look out for that if you spot them would suggest that in this particular situation, it's your belief and the image that goes with it that are driving your behavior rather than a kind of more objective view of reality. The first thing is you'll be ignoring information that doesn't go with the image. So in my B example, I was ignoring the fact that no one else was running away. No one else was scared. The bees really weren't that focused on people. They were more focused on flowers, food, and drink. And we just happened to be there in their way. My belief, the bee will sting me. And the image was the bee, larger than life, flying straight at my face. There was nobody else in my image. It didn't actually matter where I was or who I was with. It was just me and the bee. And that's what I would react to. 
Now, this kind of thing doesn't have to be related to phobias. It could be things your children do that really trigger you and you end up responding by shouting or getting angry when you keep promising yourself that you're not going to. It could be stuff that happens at work, things your boss says. It could be things that happen at home with your spouse or your housemates or your parents, whoever. It doesn't matter. What matters is that you're focusing on a specific image that's allowing you to have the emotional reaction. And that emotional reaction is detrimental to you. The second thing you'll find in situations where you're image-driven is that those feelings tend to be unproductive. What I mean by that is they don't tend to lead to any kind of productive change, either because you've learned something about yourself or you've shared something with someone else that helps them treat you the way you want to be treated or something that ends up leading to some kind of productive change in your life. And without that change, you end up with the third sign, which is that you have the same type of experience repeatedly. So with me, the bee situation happened every single time there was a bee anywhere near me. Uh, if the situation is related to you and your spouse, the likelihood is you might have the same fight over and over again, or you end up internalizing or feeling that same stress over and over again because you haven't yet vocalized how you feel or what you need. So it's quite easy to see how the more situations you have in your life where you are image-driven, the more likely it will be that you'd have emotions that ultimately are detrimental to your well-being and your happiness. Whereas when you're able to be more reality-driven, the likelihood is even when you experience negative emotions, something productive could come out of them. So let's have a look at how that differs. The first thing is that you are going to be willing to seek new information, which means you're also going to be willing to be wrong. And that's really quite hard to do. The next thing is that you'd need to be willing to at least test some of the possibilities. So if I go back to my B scenario, if I'm going to be willing to test an experience, I'm gonna sit there without freezing or tensing my body. I'm not gonna run away. And I'm gonna see what happens with the B. Gradually, over time, as anyone who doesn't have a bee phobia knows, I will get more and more evidence that there's really nothing to be afraid of. And so my image begins to reshape, and things that I've left out in the past are now included, and things I've included in the past that weren't actually there are removed. The next hallmark is that you are willing to feel the negative emotion and let it tell you something. Whenever you're experiencing an emotion that feels negative to you, it has a message to give. And that sounds really kind of airy-fairy, but basically you feel it for a reason. And when you are reality-driven, you seek the reason. Is it a trigger from a long time ago? Is it specific to this event? Are you bringing in a whole load of other stuff that actually isn't relevant to what's happening right now? What's the reason you feel the way you feel? And the final element of being reality-driven is that you would be willing to take some kind of action. So in my case with the bee phobia, the likelihood is that uh, had it not been for my kids and for me being able to work that through on my own, if it became something I wanted to deal with, I might have needed to consult a therapist who could help me work through how to change that image if I was unable to do so by myself. If it was a problem with a spouse, I would be willing to start having conversations that were different to the conversations I was having before. Probably more exploratory, more curious about what the drivers are behind how we keep ending up in these loops. So what ultimately happens when you take this kind of approach is that what feels initially like a negative emotion can ultimately lead to insights and conversations 
that lead you somewhere much more positive. So they make a massive contribution to your future, to your future happiness, to your strengths, peace of mind, abilities to cope with the same situation should it arise again, all that kind of thing. And what you find when you take this kind of approach is that negative emotions become less scary because they're not an indicator of something you're going to get stuck with. They're an indicator of something you're going to deal with, which is far more powerful. For today, that's where we'll leave it. If you've got any comments or questions, as always, please comment on the show notes page and I hope to see you back next time. Thanks for listening.